Hello and welcome to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I am joined with a wonderful group of actors today that are going to lead us through the murky and beautiful and heartbreaking landscape that is Act 4 of King John. So we have just had this very political scene with Lewis and Cardinal Pandolf where Pandolf was saying, look, you got to think long term about these things. You've got to not just not just pay attention to what just happened, but think about all the strategic ways that you can let your interest push you forward um, to your advantage. And then we get this wonderful, totally different scene, which is very much about, well, well, I'll just I won't spoil it. It's a really great, heartbreaking scene. And we go now to Hubert, who is, as we recall from the middle of Act Three, now the guard of young Prince Arthur. Heat me these irons hot, and look thou stand within the heiress. When I strike my foot upon the bosom of the ground, rush forth and bind the boy, which you shall find with me fast to the chair. Be heedful, hence, and watch. I hope your warrant will bear out the deed. Plainly scruples. Fear you not. Look to it. Young lad, come forth. I have to say with you. Good morrow, Hubert. Good morrow, little prince. As little prince, having so great a title to be more prince as may be. You're sad. Indeed, I have been merrier. <laughs> Mercy on me. Methinks nobody should be sad but I. <laughs> Yet I remember when I was in France, young gentlemen would be as sad as night only for wantonness, but my Christendom. So I were out of prison and kept sheep. I should be as merry as the day is long. And so I would be here, but that I doubt my uncle practices more harm on me. He is afraid of me, and I of him. Is it my fault that I was Geoffrey's son? No, indeed, is't not. And I would to heaven I were your son, so you would love me, Hubert. If I talk to him with his innocent prate, he will awake my mercy, which lies dead. Therefore I will be sudden in dispatch. Are you sick, Hubert? You look pale today. In sooth, I would you were a little sick, that I might sit all night and watch with you. I warrant I love you more than you do me. His words do take possession of my bosom. Read here, young Arthur. How oh, now, foolish room, turning dispiteous torture out of door? Ugh, I must be brief, lest resolution drop out at mine eyes in tender womanish tears. Can you not read it? Is it not fairly writ? Too fairly, Hubert, for so foul effect. Must you, with hot irons, burn out both mine eyes? Young boy, I must. And will you? And I will. Have you the heart? When your head did but ache, I knit my handkerchief about your brows. The best I had, a princess wrought at me. And I did never ask it you again. And with my hand at midnight held your head, and like the rat watchful minutes to the hour, still and anon cheered up the heavy time, saying, What lack you, and where lies your grief? Or 
What good love may I perform for you? Many a poor man's son would have lain still and never have spoke a loving word to you. But yet your sick service had a prince. Nay, you may think my love was crafty love and call it cunning. Do. And if you will, if heaven be pleased that you will must use me ill, why then you must. Will you put out mine eyes? These eyes that never did, nor never shall, so much as frown on you. I have sworn to do it, and with hot irons must I burn them out. Oh, none in this iron age would do it. The iron of itself, though heat red hot, approaching near these eyes, would drink my tears and quench his fiery indignation, even in the matter of mine innocence. Nay, after that, consume away in rust, but for containing fire to harm mine eye. Are you more stubborn hard than hammered iron? And if an angel should have come to me and told me Hubert should put out mine eyes, I would not have believed him. No tongue but Hubert's. Come forth! Uh, so let's pause there for a second just to go Ready? through this this I missed my next line. Oh, no worries. No problem. <laughs> yes, we'll Go start in. from the, we'll start from your, your come forth when we go back. So, okay. So obviously, do we think Hubert is totally sold on this plan? It would be, <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody can be. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I have a strong sense that he's, he's having some trouble with this. Um, yeah. Considering the amount of sort of, talking to himself that he does uh, during uh, Arthur's monologues. Oh, yeah. It's so funny because it's like he asks you, Arthur asks Hubert so many direct questions to which he receives like no response, which must be kind of strange. Um, but he seems like a very, very nice young man who is trying to fill awkward silences by asking more <laughs> questions and trying to make him comfortable. Um, I, I, do you think this is a, a different Hubert from, from the one that we saw with King John? Do you think there's anything going on differently for him in this scene? I think um, it's funny because in that scene with King John, I mean, it, the funny thing is a lot of people describe Hubert's face. Yeah. and how Hubert looks. But Hubert himself describes himself only, it seems to me, near the end of this act. And he says, I'm a good man. I've always been a good man. I've yeah. never wanted to do any anything bad, you know? Yeah. So it, it, I almost get this impression that there's some uh, direction in the text almost that this guy looks really nasty. <laughs> but I, I don't see in his lines with... King Hen with a uh, no, not Henry, with uh, King John. He agrees to do the act very quickly, but it seemed to me that he was thinking of a lot of ways to try and relax John, do what he wants, and not do not kill King or uh, not kill Prince Arthur. Yeah. Just he was like, well, I'll keep him out of your way. Don't worry, I'll make sure he's not going to bother you anymore. Like, I'm just going to keep this guy, you know, totally out of the way. And then 
it just, to me, my instinct, but maybe it's not the strongest choice, is that Hubert has almost found himself in this position by accident. Um, no, I, I think that works very well. I, he seems to me no like, I, like this everyman who's like smushed into this situation and it's like, what on earth do I do? Like I'm, if you looked, you know, like if you looked like a guy like, um, I don't know, Ray Winston or something like that, or like, like a really intense, nasty British guy. I don't know who's in gangster <laughs> movies and stuff, but on the inside you were very, you were nice and you were a good dad and you were a good husband and just like a good guy or whatever. It, that's such an interesting contrast to me and seems pretty true to life. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. I'm thinking of, uh, there's this one particular actor who's in um, the episode Mangrove, uh, Mangrove Nine. If anyone's seen it, it's, it's really extraordinary. But anyway, there's the, this guy who plays the police officer and he just has this face that just looks like there's like evil in every little line. Like I don't, I feel really badly for him. Although not so much because as an actor, like you would get cast so freaking often if you had that ability to sort of inhabit that kind of sunken, obsessed kind of, kind of look. Anyway. I do feel that now that he's in the position and he agreed to it in the yeah. heat of the moment, there's absolutely no way out whatsoever except for killing the kid that it's, he can't leave here. He ends up leaving, but I think that that is why the scene is mandatory because Arthur convinces him, I think. Yeah. Julia, did you have something? Yeah. yeah, please correct me if I'm like misremembering something from the previous act, but cause, cause like that all makes total sense. And like you read the text and you're like, oh yeah, that's what's happening. But like, I just can't get over the fact that I'm like, this is a horrible sentence that I'm about to say, but like we're 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 we're, we're grooving. Um, but there there are easier and less brutal ways to kill a child than by yeah. stabbing them through the eyes with red hot pokers. Yeah. Like th there are much cleaner, much less painful ways for both executioner and child <laughs> than that. There there must be. <laughs> like, there's I think, gotta I just feel be like a better way <laughs> the, the act begins with that like this this language isn't just sort of like hey wait over there and pass me my sword it begins yeah. with like heat up these like pokers and when I call you I'll tie the kid to the chair and then you come like that's so horrific yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and I actually think that one of Arthur's incredible tactics as we're about to see when he's once again alone with Hubert is to basically describe how sensitive eyes are and that like he he says like I wish that you had a tiny little bit of dust in there any tiny irritant that would make you understand the terror that I'm feeling at you coming at me with something as horrific as a hot poker you know it's like it's just so but I think I, I would also love to, to talk about Arthur here because so we've we've heard a lot about Arthur but he hasn't really gotten to speak a lot until this scene this is his biggest scene um he's got like you know, 99 lines in this scene wow amazing um so the there is, I, I feel like we, we, we get to know him very quickly 
um, in this scene. What, what are some things that you noticed about him as you're, as you're reading through this, Liam? I mean, I, I feel like he's a very yeah, perceptive young kid. Like he knows people really well. Uh, I, yeah, probably telling of his mother, how he was raised, politics, et cetera. Um, but, <laughs> but, also, but also it's just, yeah, you, I, I get the sense that, yeah, he's, he's really just, I mean, well, we, we get the sense earlier that he's not really into being a prince and all of that, that it's just like this unnecessary thing that's been like hefted upon him. But, you know, you see him, um, you know, like, like you, he, he, he reminds me of John in some ways, but like, mm. you know, like, uh, you, you know, well, of course you see him, you know, we're, we're afraid of each other. Um, you know, I, you know, and then well, he loves saying Hubert a lot as well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they have it's a family it's trait <laughs> the repetition of hubert's uh, name <laughs> <laughs> the repetition of hubert everybody loves hubert man everybody loves yeah. hubert. That's the name of the play everybody loves you everybody, everybody loves, loves hubert, hubert. <laughs> <John's story>. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's wonderful i think there's something very cheerful about him at the beginning before he has to read this horrible piece of paper and there's like a kind of I feel like they've, they've found their groove, whatever the groove is of like being a child that is imprisoned, which totally. is a horrible thought. I mean, it's kind of horrible to think about anyone in prison, but it, it's a really horrible thought to think about a, a young child in prison, but that they seem to have found an, an ease with each other. He's very friendly to Hubert. Um, he obviously like has developed this bond with him. He took care of him when he was sick. He, he gave him his handkerchief and um, he likes talking to him. Um, but I do think there's also this really amazing moment where when he's beginning to say, are you, are you seriously going to burn out my eyes? Um, there's this wonderful line where he says, you may think my love was crafty love and call it cunning. This, this essentially means like devious love like I was I was expressing this love for a purpose and to have that kind of perspective and kind of emotional perception to me is like really it adds another layer to this kid that he's not just sweet he's also aware that his sweetness could be interpreted as deviousness um which to me just like makes him such a more interesting character that he isn't just the sweet prince that everyone's talking about. He has like a, a very, um, a very mature emotional knowledge of the interpersonal relationships that he's surrounded by. Um, so that I just wanted to point that out because that's that to me it just really sticks out. And it's amazing how much repetition there is in this scene of like iron, hot eyes, you know, tears, blood. Yeah, it's um, it's it's like we're just hammered with these same words over and over, and these images as well, just over and over and over again. Yeah. So so poor. <laughs> I love this that that this idea that the um, the iron, if it came near his eyes would just begin to drink Arthur's tears and would like yeah. his tears would put out the fire and then they would consume away and rust because they contain the fire that could have harmed his eyes. Like this is a very complicated image, but it, it, it reminds me of um, we were just working on Richard II and Richard 
right before he goes to prison has this wonderful moment with his wife where he says the firebrands will sympathize with the story of me you know and in compassion they'll weep the fire out so we get this uh this repeated image in shakespeare a couple times of sort of like highly intense emotional situations causing objects that are senseless as in not having human sense and I guess our our nervous system (laughs) would be a kind of scientific parallel um, that they become emotional, these objects. Um, And we're going to, we're going to see this thread continue through this scene. Um, Mm -hmm. So wonderful. So then we have Hubert, let's go from your come forth and then the executioners are going to come back in. I just wanted to say too, I mean, I think Julia, that, that that's an excellent point of like, why is it so violent and graphic and terrible? And he does agree within one shared line to kill this kid. So it does also make, you know, I think there's, now my mind is also kind of like, well, maybe this guy does do dirty work or, and he's really gotten to know this kid so far, or at the very least when he says he's gonna do something, he like commits. I mean, you know. not to not to play devil's advocate now on myself, but um, <laughs> I also feel like, I mean, there there is this letter, right? And so it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, there's this thing that says, like, number, right. like, to do, like, gouge out boy eyes, like, you know, <laughs> like a, like and a, you kind of wonder, the police yeah, did that come from, can... yeah, it's like, did, did that let, did that, this note that he gives Arthur to read, you know, is that from John, like do it this way because I want him to suffer. And then also to Hubert's credit, I think like he agrees to kill the boy in one line, one shared line, but he also like his, his conscience changes in another line. Like with these two heirs, there are these like two shared lines, the one before, and then the one here where he says like, and will you, that sort of like, that feels like a big turning point for his conscience as well. So yeah, it's these, it's these like, these two sort of like figures, these two like different sort of lineages that could exist kind of like commanding this man in such a weird way is like that, that part really struck me as I was like scrolling through it again as well. Yeah, that is fantastic. I I really like that. And I think as we as we will learn in um, the next scene, when Hubert kind of confronts King John, who King John, who like tries to not have responsibility for this this act, is going to yeah. say a whole bunch of hilarious bullshit. Um, and then uh, Hubert has this beautifully simple line where he says, "Here is your the hand and seal, your totally. hand and seal for the deed." Totally. Like you sign this piece of paper you wrote this order, you know, don't, don't try and back out now. So that it's, it's a really, it's chilling. There's also, I did want to mention, there's also some really interesting implications with the burning the eyes out. That was, I learned when I was in King Lear that, that there's something terribly fitting about Gloucester's eyes being plucked out. That was the punishment for adultery which Gloucester commits and we hear about in the first scene, but there's a lot to do with eyes to also that has to do with lineage and inheritance and the ability to um, have sons. So there is something to me about the, the eyes 
being gouged out. That's like, I need to stop that line, that potential of Royal blood from, yeah. from gaining power. It's very edible. Yeah. Yeah. That course. also feels so reflective as well. Like as we've been talking about this whole time, how much the, the, real or perceived sins of the adults how much the real or perceived sins of the adults get um pu- like the punishment is meted out on the children like all of the like yeah. a, like potential who fucking knows adultery yeah. talk in respect of <laughs> like arthur's lineage and stuff like he shouldn't be the one who gets that punishment yeah even if it was yeah. true or who yeah. cares but like it's just it's sad to think about how like continually in this play the folks who are younger in the space are the ones who are bearing the brunt of the violence here absolutely and we and we even talked about that last time with with uh lewis and blanche as well of these the young princes and princesses that just keep getting kind of pushed into these horrible situations although lewis as we'll see in the next act kind of gets his own and grows a grows a spine and starts talking back after his after his little lesson in power (laughs) with pandolf he starts using it but yeah it's 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 fascinating i also feel like the the first the first three acts were like kind of light in a way like there was kind of this, this almost like a parody of a history play is the way I, I kind of have been looking at this, that this is like a parody. It's both a history play and a parody of a history play. And then I feel like in acts four and five, it's like we feel the consequences of all these bad decisions that all these rulers have made and that there are real consequences and that actually people are getting hurt and children are dying and kingdoms are breaking apart which is always like a bad sign in Shakespeare when kingdoms are breaking apart uh I was just gonna say that I feel like there's there was a point in act three and I think it might have been that shared line where I just felt like the language suddenly like got way more direct and concise Mm. and way less like absurd and ridiculous and it felt like the play went from being that weird like parody thing where we were like (laughs) why is this funny i'm confused yeah. to being like oh 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 okay they're gonna murder a child cool cool cool, cool oh cool. yeah great yeah. cool i'm gonna i'm writing that in that's that is yeah. so wonderful that because it's it's absolutely true the the language shifts in that scene because you before you have that weird king john speech of like i love you but i'm not gonna tell you why and i have something to say but i won't say it and it's he says this like over and over again and then it's death my lord a grave he shall not live enough and you're like whoa whoa that happened fast we actually accomplished something it was a horrible thing but we accomplished something in the space of two lines you know yeah but i, I do wonder too um i i've i have a slight inkling as well that which might be borne out by what we see in this act and i'd be interested in the fifth one too but that there's almost a very dark comedy still oh. at play here because okay. the the order of events that happens in this act also almost has the aspect of farce because oh, yeah as we'll see a little bit later when hubert decides not to do this he goes back to the king and tells him he did it. The king tells the lords. The lords run off to sea. Hubert yeah. tells him he didn't do it. And by the time he gets to the lords, he goes, don't worry, I didn't kill him. They're like, well, then what the hell is that? And he's like <laughs> lying on the ground right next yeah. to them, dead. So there's almost something 
something of comedic timing in all of the miscommunications in this act, which is almost, it's like comedy of errors, but with murdered kid. It's a lot. But I I do, I mean, the language is so serious. Yeah. You know, I think it maybe just goes seamlessly through jokes and... Yeah, yeah, you just totally get, yeah, like, throughout the, well, and even Arthur as a character, I feel like, you know, like, he's very, very happy, it feels like, on the outside, but then, yeah, he has his little speech about, you know, like, I, I, I should really be the only person in the world who's sad, I've torn my family apart by my mere existence, you know, Yeah. I just have all of this guilt on my shoulders from the, you know. But I, um, I also love that he says, you know, like, nobody should be sad, but you know what, I remember when I was in France, like, young gentlemen pretended to be sad, because <laughs> right, it was yeah. very fashionable, which I kind of love that they, we get like a couple French digs in at like. <laughs> this play is no. just French digs, I feel like. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, wonderful, everyone. Thank you so much. Let us um, do from our, let's go from that Hubert's line, come forth. Come forth. Do as I bid you do. Save me, Hubert, save me. My eyes are out even with the fierce looks of these bloody men. Give me the iron, I say, and bind him here. Alas, what need you be so boisterous rough? I will not struggle. I will stand stone still. For God's sake, Hubert, let me not be bound. Nay, hear me, Hubert. Drive these men away, and I will sit as quiet as a lamb. I will not stir, nor winch, nor speak a word, nor look upon the iron angrily. Thrust but these men away, and I'll forgive you whatever torment you do put me to. Go stand with him. Let me alone with him. I am best pleased to be from such a deep. Alas, then I have chid away my friend. He hath a stern look, but a gentle heart. Let him come back, and that his compassion may give life to yours. Come, boy, prepare yourself. Is there no remedy? None but to lose your eyes. Oh, heaven, that there were but a mote in yours, a grain, a dust, a gnat of wandering hair, any annoyance in that precious sense, then feeling what small things are boisterous there, your vile intent must needs seem horrible. Is this your promise? Go to, hold your tongue. Hubert, the utterance of a brace of tongues must needs want pleading for a pair of eyes. Let me not hold my tongue. Let me not, Hubert. Or Hubert, if you will, cut out my tongue so I may keep mine eyes. Oh, spare mine eyes, though to no use, but still to look on you. Lo, by my troth, the instrument is cold and would not harm me. I can heat it, boy. No, in good sooth. The fire is dead with grief. Being create for comfort. To be used in undeserved extremes. See else yourself, there is no malice in this burning coal. The breath of heaven hath blown his spirit out, hath strewed repentant ashes on his head. The fire (laughs) went out. Yeah, but I can see it again. This doesn't mean anything. I'm very intrigued by, yeah, what might be happening here. Oh, and also, um, having had to do this once, how on earth do you stage this thing? Do you have a big, like, fire pit in the middle of the stage? How do you get the the thingies to look Um, like they're burning coal? It's kind of a nightmare to stage, Mr. Shakespeare. I saw it in uh, directing 
directing class, just this scene stand alone. And mm. it was like very bare bones directing class. Like you just, all you had was a thrust stage. Uh-huh. And, and I think that director like rolled on, a, it was probably a barbecue pit, <laughs> I think like a, a barbecue thing. And he just had two like pretty freaking uh, serious looking makes like you know, wow. heating up on the grill. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it is weird. And in, and I have to say, in that version of the scene, I just remember the Hubert guy like gruffly screaming all of his "Can revive it, boy." <laughs> okay, to me, like we're going back to that sort of like dark comedy thing. It's like I don't know if we're are we playing around here. What is? I mean, but it's not really play. I don't. I think. Um... To me, I remember the thing that that I found key to this scene was that Arthur is panicked. He's really panicked and he's having to think faster than he's ever thought before. And he's really good at it. Um, So these these things that he's coming up with, oh my God, you're going to burn out my eyes. Just think about when your eye is irritated and how much pain that causes you like just think about that. And then Hubert's thinking about that. And then he's like, shut up, you know, because now he can't even think about it, you know? So he's, but I think to me, the, the really, the key to this is that Arthur is panicked. And when he's panicked, he thinks faster than he's ever thought. Um, And to me, that was like, that was a, a, a very much a key to unlocking this scene was that he's trying to outthink him. And as, as, typical in in Shakespeare situations he's not trying to fight him off he's trying to rhetorically outwit him which he ultimately does I think mm-hmm. but it's it's yeah. like he's presenting all of these different arguments about why Hubert shouldn't do this to him yeah it's so interesting because as you said he hasn't talked very much in the play so far and it's yeah. almost like this is the first time he needs to and he's really good at it yeah yeah He's definitely trained in the, <laughs> the art of rhetoric. <laughs> and, and so many images, like his imagery just like bounds off the page, Arthur's, with this, this whole like dog that is wounding its master and that the, you know, the, yeah. the brands are blushing with shame and all of these just like really very strong images. But with my breath, I can revive it, boy. And if you do, you will but make it blush and glow with shame of your proceedings, Hubert. Nay, it perchance will sparkle in your eyes and like a dog that is compelled to fight, snatch at his master that doth tear him on. All things that you should use to do me wrong deny their office. Only you do lack that mercy which fierce fire and iron extends creatures of note for mercy lacking uses. Well, See to live. I will not touch thine eye for all the treasure that thine uncle owes. Yet I am I sworn, and and I did purpose, boy, but with this very same iron to burn them out. Oh, now you look like Hubert. All this while you were disguised. (laughs) Peace, no more. Adieu. Your uncle must not know, but you are dead. I'll fill these dogged spies with false reports, and pretty child. Sleep doubtless and secure that Hubert, for the wealth of all the world, will not offend thee. Oh, heaven, I thank you, Hubert. Silence, no more. 
go closely in with me. Much danger do I undergo for thee. Wow. That was such a fast turnaround at the <laughs> end there. I really feel like Hubert doesn't like, he takes a, a long, in a weird way, it takes him a long time for his mind to shift. But once it shifts, it's shifted. Like, yeah, it's, it's strange. I, I get the sense he's not a guy who thinks very fast. Mm. And yet he is forced to in a couple of shared lines that really put him on the spot. So it's, it's really interesting. I, I, I find Hubert to be a fascinating character. He's so, he's one of just the most talked about characters in the play and everyone has a slightly different version of him. Um, the nobles hate him and they think he looks like a murderer. King John loves him and then hates him and Arthur loves him and fears him and loves him. You know, it's just, it's fascinating how different everyone kind of reacts to this guy. Any final thoughts on this uh wonderful horrible scene in, in a weird way it almost felt and also from what you were saying ariana it almost feels like he gets buried under the things arthur forces him to think about like yeah. he he's like trying to pull his way back to doing the deed he needs to do to like keep not only to like get money but to save his life probably and keep the kingdom under control like he I, I almost feel like with uh, I can light it again with my breath. Like he's trying to pull his way back to his purpose. Yeah. And he, it almost feels like he can't get there. Um, and now he has to deal with the consequences of this action too, right? I mean, if he had done it, he would have to deal with a different consequence. But now that he's not doing it, he's still got consequences to deal with, you know? It's kind of extraordinary. He's just between a rock and a rock and a rock <laughs> and another rock and a few more rocks. Yes. Ooh. Oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> um, awesome. So then we turn to our, our second scene, which is probably in the same castle or uh, probably in London. We're back in, we're back in England for both of these scenes. And we're in King John's throne room. And it, it is a, it seems that he has crowned himself again, had an entire second uh, coronation ceremony, um, which the nobles are not too happy about, as we will find out. So I'm just going to read King John, unfortunately. Um, Patrick cannot be with us this, this session, but he will record these lines and they will be um, in our final radio play. Here once again we sit, once again crowned, and looked upon, I hope, with cheerful eyes. This once again, but that your highness pleased, was once superfluous. You were crowned before, and that high royalty was ne'er plucked off, the faiths of men ne'er stained with revolt. Fresh expectation troubled not the land with any longed-for change or better state. Therefore, to be possessed with double pomp, to guard a title that was rich before, to gild refined gold, to paint the lily, to throw a perfume on the violet, to smooth the ice, or add another hue unto the rainbow, or with tapered light, to seek the beauteous eye of heaven to garnish, is wasteful and ridiculous excess. But that your royal pleasure must be done. This act is as an ancient tale new told, and in the last repeating, troublesome, being urged at a time unseasonable. In this the antic and well-noted face of plain old form is much disfigured and like a 
shifted wind unto a sail. It makes the course of thoughts to fetch about, startles and frights consideration, makes sound opinion sick and truth suspected for putting on so new a fashioned robe. When workmen strive to do better than well, they do confound their skill in covetousness, and oftentimes excusing of a fault doth make the fault the worse by the excuse, as patches set upon a little breach discredit more in hiding of the fault than did the fault before it was so patched. To this effect, before you were new crowned, we breathed our counsel, but it pleased your highness to overbear it. And we are all well pleased since all and every part of what we would doth make a stand at what your highness will. I'm just going to pause here and just like, these nobles really like metaphors, don't they? Like, there's just like, let me give you a list of metaphors about why this behavior is problematic. I just like, I really enjoy these two lords a lot. Um, and also just wonderful that Meg got to, to, to say the most misquoted line in all of Shakespeare. Yes. Right, right? right. To gild refined gold, to paint the lily, people usually say to gild the lily, mm -hmm. um, right. which kind of doesn't really make sense, but it, it's, it makes sense because it's become a, a cultural, you know, turn of phrase, but I'm so glad that we got to hear the, the full thing. What, what are your, um, what are your impressions of Pembroke and Salisbury so far in this scene? Well, um, Salisbury, I mean, he's really very direct. And, you know, um, this is, it's sort of like, I mean, he's telling the king, you know, you're ridiculous and this is ridiculous <laughs> behavior. So that's a very, that's a pretty outrageous thing to say. Obviously he feels very secure in himself that he's not gonna, his head's not gonna be taken off. Um, but it's also interesting to note that he's actually the half brother of King John. That's right. So he has a very interesting role throughout this. Um, and I guess he does get to say what he feels. And he's, he is very moral throughout, you know, and the rest of it. And, um, and accuses, you know, John of being a murderer and, and, and Hubert as well. So, I don't know. He's pretty straightforward. I've, and I think it, it to me, it, it really demonstrates, and we're going to see this later in this scene and in this act, the power of the king completely resides on the nobles backing up his claim. And when they start saying, we're not going to support you anymore, the king really loses his power. It's, it's like, we're all kind of, um, it's very you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, we all agree that the, the, I love using this example that we treat the president of the United States in a certain way. And we've all agreed that he is the president because it's always been a he. Um, but it's because it should be because we give them that power, right? As opposed to, and, and, and very similarly here, the king, even though we have divine right of kings floating around as well, in the secular world, the king only maintains his power through a very, very wealthy group of, um, of aristocrats that have to hold up and support him. And as he's, uh, as we're going to find out, he's, he has so many different, King John has so many different like civil tumult going on and he doesn't know this but he's about to be invaded by France like 
if you don't have that, you don't, you don't have anything to base your claim to the throne on. Um, as Eleanor said in the first scene, your strong possession much more than your right. Don't think about who has the best right, who is, who is the, the strongest possession of, of this title. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Julia, do you have any, any thoughts about uh, uh, Pembroke? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like Pembroke's language is a little bit more, uh, I mean, he seems like he's a little bit more like grovelly and like, <laughs> like ass kissy, you know? Yeah. He's, he's like using, like the language is just like a little bit too sort of like elegant, like like he's using all these, but it pleased your highness and like yeah. really trying to like, it feels like cushion the blow of being like, yeah, it was a little unnecessary that you did that, but like, you know, whatever you want, your grace, like very much covering his own ass. Absolutely. <laughs> it feels like. Absolutely. And I, 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 I actually recall doing, doing this scene and having these, this, this very smarmy moment with King John of like in in your next speech about like oh your your safety which is of course like the thing that we're all completely obsessed about and King John being like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's like a yeah. very like little kind of um, interesting <laughs> way that these that these people sort of deal with one another. There's a very coded language that they use. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important to note that Pembroke is actually one of the main reasons that we have the Magna Carta. He was incredibly instrumental um, in, uh, in, in that being codified and, and brought into law, although, of course, it's not mentioned in this play at all. Um, but historically, very, very important figure. Well, wonderful. So King John has heard all of these wonderful metaphors about why, and he says... <laughs> Some reasons of this double coronation I have possessed you with and think them strong and more, more strong than lesser is my fear I shall endue you with. Meantime, but ask what you would have reformed that is not well and well shall you perceive how willingly I will both hear and grant you your requests. Then I, as one that am the tongue of these to sound the purposes of all their hearts, both for myself and them, but chief of all your safety, for the which myself and them bend their best studies, heartily request the enfranchisement of Arthur, whose restraint doth move the murmuring lips of discontent to break into this dangerous argument. If what in rest you have, in right you hold, why then your fears, which, as they say, attend the steps of wrong, should move you to mew up your tender kinsman and to choke his days with barbarous ignorance and deny his youth the rich advantage of good exercise? That the time's enemies may not have this to grace occasions, let it be our suit that you have bid us ask his liberty, for uh, which for our goods we do not no further ask then whereupon our wheel on you depending, counts it in your wheel, he have his liberty. Let it be so. I do commit his youth to your direction. Hubert, what news with you? This is the man should do the bloody deed. He showed his warrant to a friend of mine. The image of a wicked, heinous fault lives in his eye. That close aspect of his does show the mood of a much troubled breast. And I do fearfully believe tis done. What we so feared he had a charge to do. The color of the king doth come and go between his purpose and his conscience, like heralds twixt two dreadful battles set. His passion is so ripe, its needs must break. 
And when it breaks, I fear will issue thence the foul corruption of a sweet child's death. We cannot hold mortality's strong hand. Good lords, although my will to give is living, the suit which you demand is gone and dead. He tells us Arthur is deceased tonight. Indeed, we feared his sickness was past cure. Indeed, we heard how near his death he was before the child himself felt he was sick. This must be answered either hence, here or hence. Why do you bend such solemn brows on me? Think you I bear the shears of destiny? Have I commandment on the pulse of life? It is apparent foul play, and tis shame that greatness should so grossly offer it. So thrive it in your game, and so farewell. Stay yet, Lord Salisbury, I'll go with thee and find the inheritance of this poor child, his little kingdom of a forced grave. That blood which owed the breadth of all this isle, three foot of it doth hold. Bad world the while. This must not be thus born. This will break out to all our sorrows, and ere long, I doubt. So, yeah, they abandoned him very quickly, didn't they? Yeah, the band's breaking up. But also they like, they still aren't, you know, they aren't saying to his face, we know it was you. Yeah. Like yeah. Pembroke says like, oh yeah, we heard he was so near his death even before the kid even felt sick, like yeah. crazy. <laughs> like they're not, they're definitely still, they're, they're still covering their asses and playing the game a little bit. Absolutely. But there is a really interesting, it is apparent, foul, pa, fa, I can speak really, apparent foul play apparent here means like very obvious and it is interesting to me that Salisbury says that that he's like this is like so badly done and so <laughs> so obvious are you really presuming that this is like the way that you're going to rule I love this so thrive it in your game and so yeah. farewell like I don't know exactly what that means but it's such an interesting like it's a reminder that everyone plays a game at the court and that the king plays a game and they're power games really but it's i just love that that is his sort of final <laughs> zinger it's very it's very interesting ariana what is the word what here does grossly uh mean grossly offer it grossly means openly or blatantly or brazenly so i'm sort of fascinated by this idea that salisbury in that line is also upbraiding the obviousness of this terrible act. Yeah, yeah. That certainly it seems like people love this prince, but there's a lot of, there's some interesting language and it's been throughout the play of like, not just killing a kid, but killing a kid when it's so obvious to everyone that you killed the kid. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> it, it always seems to go together. It's not like don't kill children. It's like, don't kill children when it's obvious. Man. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's it's an important Salisbury, qualifier. Salisbury saying this is tolerated in in your court, and yeah. he's mm. excusing himself. It's like yeah. I'm not mm. going to be in a court like this anymore. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. and it's like okay, so that's your game. Okay, I'm not participating. And he says that later on as well. Yeah. But it's absolutely. it's and and the word thrive is really interesting because it means that something is being promoted, that mm -hmm. it, it's nurtured. This kind of murderous behavior is A-OK. -okay. Yes. A-OK -okay in your court. Absolutely. 
And I love that this, it's like the, this little interaction sort of leads King John to this kind of remarkable realization in the, in the next line that he has. Um, so they leave and he says, they burn in indignation. I repent. There is no sure foundation set on blood, no certain life achieved by others' death. Like, is this the first time he's thinking of this? That like maybe killing people doesn't actually set you up for sustainable power. Like I don't. <laughs> anyway, it sounds like he's learning the game still. Yeah, he's and he as he's lost playing. his mom. He doesn't have his mom. I think that's um, important to remember during this. Is that he was so close to his mother, and she and definitely seemed to be guiding a lot of his political strategy. And she's gone. I think I wanted to bring that up too, Ariana, just because it feels like from the first scene where we would see, like, like we said, Eleanor is like, uh, you don't really, like, you aren't really owed this kingdom. Like it, yeah. it really belongs to somebody else. And he was just sort of like, ah, don't, don't listen. And then we cut to this where there are these people who are sort of being like using all this poncy language and like, but also at the same time telling him they know exactly what he's doing and trying to advise him. And he's yeah. so much more willing to listen to that than to a woman standing next to him and being like, hey, let me give you a smart move. He would yeah. much more, he would much rather have like a person being like your Royal Highness, like it's your safety. We know you killed the kid, but like, you really shouldn't be doing that. It's pretty fucking obvious, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, he's so much more responsive to this than to like, than to his mom. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's also interesting his in here, his immediate repentance doesn't come from like, oh God, I heard the kid was dead and I feel bad. It comes from an immediate political uh, need. <laughs> yeah, like an immediate bad result, which is suddenly his lords leave him. So he's like, yeah. oh, I didn't need to do that in the first place. But as far as abstract morals, like it doesn't just, yeah. he's a really interesting guy to me, that King John. Yeah. Like, he think what King is he John, King John does he want to invade a town does he not want to does he want to kill kids does he not want to or is it just what other people are making him think he needs to do right absolutely it's a very good point and then he has this amazing relationship with this messenger that comes in the way he speaks to him is so interesting a fearful eye thou hast where is that blood that i have seen inhabit in those cheeks so foul a sky clears not without a storm Pour down thy weather. How goes all in France? From France to England, never such a power for any foreign preparation was levied in the body of a land. The copy of your speed is learned by them, for when you should be told, they do prepare. The tidings comes that they are all arrived. Oh, where hath our intelligence been drunk? Where hath it slept? Where is my mother's care that such an army could be drawn in France and she not hear of it? My liege. Her ear is stopped with dust. The first of April died your noble mother. And as I hear, my lord, the lady Constance in a frenzy died three days before. But this from rumor's tongue I idly heard, if true or false, I, I know not. Withhold thy speed, dreadful occasion. Oh, make a league with me till I have pleased my discontented peers. What? Mother dead? How wildly then walks my estate in France, under whose conduct came those powers of France that thou for truth gives out are landed here. Under the Dauphin. Thou hast made me giddy with these ill news. Now what says the world to your proceedings? Do not seek to stuff my head with more ill news, for it is full. But if you be afeard to hear the worst, then let the worst unheard fall on your head. 
bear with me, cousin, for I was amazed under a tide, under the tide, but now I breathe again, aloft the flood, and can give audience to any tongue, speak it of what it will. How I have sped among the clergymen, the sums I have collected shall express. But as I traveled hither through the land, I find the people strangely fantasied, possessed with rumors, full of idle dreams, not knowing what they fear, but full of fear. And here's a prophet that I brought with me from forth the streets of Pomfret, whom I found with many hundreds treading on his heels, to whom he sung in rude, harsh-sounding rhymes that ere the next ascension day at noon, your highness should deliver up your crown. Thou idle dreamer, wherefore didst thou so? For knowing that the truth will fall out so. Hubert, away with him. Imprison him. And on that day at noon whereon he says, I shall yield up my crown, let him be hanged. Deliver him to safety and return, for I must use thee. So, okay. This is like a whole lot of information that we're getting with all these entrances. It's kind of extraordinary. I think I, I love King John's, like, the beauty and simplicity of Mother Dead. Like, <laughs> is somehow, like, so childlike and... And as we'll see in like a page or so, um, his only soliloquy in the play, in the entire play is my mother, comma, dead. That's his only soliloquy. So like what you do with that as the actor, I think is kind of an awesome thing. But also you gotta love the, the bastard for coming in and having this like amazing change of energy and just being like, oh, you don't want to hear bad news, then uh, fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like crazy. I feel like he's like, I have news, and John's like, don't give me bad news, and he's like, bye, and then like is walking back out, and then he's like, no, 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 come in. It's a horrible moment for it, of course, but yeah, absolutely. But I love that he's like, okay, well then you can just have everything fall on your head. <laughs> like it's such a great. He's so good at taking words that other people said and giving them a different, a slightly different meaning. Um, it's just extraordinary to me. <laughs> and it's wild that he brings in this prophet. Who's like this guy? I suppose as a function of the play, it's simply to just for, further like further illuminate the sort of like unrest that is being caused amongst so many people and in so many different places by what John is yeah. doing or indeed not doing. Um, but it's very strange that he's like, so I drag this guy here and like throws him into the space, but it's- It's it's a little bit like Pandolf was saying, it seems at the end of the last act, he's like, look, if you if he brings that kid back home to England and the kid dies, although this isn't necessarily about that yet, but he's like every person in the street, if they feel or see anything weird, is gonna think it's all because King John has brought it down on them. Yeah. And this Peter of Pomfret seems to be saying, he's like, we're, we're fear, like we're all really afraid. There's a really nasty vibe out there. And uh, it's all King John's fault. So he should give up his crown. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand the turnaround that King John does. Maybe I'm mistreating this, but he's telling him to go hang him. And then he says, deliver him to, to safety in return? Uh, custody. Safety here means like deliver him to the prison and then right. come back to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important, that's an important. Um, right. Cause <laughs> it could be just kind of like King John is so out of his 
mind. He's like, uh, forget him. He can go back uh, yeah. on something else. Safety here. Yeah. It's like safekeeping essentially. Right. Um, right. But yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't put him it past him at this point to, to say that. I also what? love, I think this is where bear with me comes from. Um, oh, I which I, I love that. Bear with me, cousin. Hold on. <laughs> uh, Ariana, I cannot believe that Shakespeare writes the death of his mother in as like, well, where's my mom? What's she say about this? Oh, she died <laughs> on April 1st. Didn't you know that? Didn't like, you know she died on April Fool's Day? Yeah, like, already. Surprise. <laughs> She was such a powerful character on stage, like such a commanding character. What a yeah. what an interesting goodbye to her and Constance. Oh yeah, in in what all the all the matrons are gone, the matrons have died. We're in a femaleless world for the rest of the play. It's intense. Um, and poor John's screwed because it really feels like Eleanor would know what to do. Oh yeah, and he has. We are now watching this guy whose mom helped him through the first three acts not have a mom anymore to help him as he gets in the hottest water he's ever been in, like in his life. Absolutely. And I and I love in the the part that's about to that we're about to read through, he's he's so affectionate to to the bastard. It's like he calls him, you know, gentle cousin, like and later he's gonna give him command of the entire army he's essentially puts him in charge of the entire english army but there's there's like it's like he needs a family member he can confide in after his 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 mother is no longer there and also i feel like the connection to the bastard is directly connected to eleanor because she was the one mm. that sort of like renamed him yeah yeah in like that first scene she's sort of like oh he's so funny like will you be my knight basically yeah. So I'm sure that like, it's it's significant that connection between Eleanor and the Bast. Yeah, that's lovely. Absolutely agree. So then, poor Peter of Pomfret. I'm we're in our production. Peter of Pomfret was like a Rasta priest. <laughs> it's like came in. It was like smoking a J. It was like foreknowing that the truth will fall out. So man, and he was like go hang him he's like wait what you know i'm just here to spread good vibes it was it was it was pretty silly um but yeah there's, there's a lot of like one line two line characters that appear in this play that are really kind of fun like you can kind of do anything with them it's, it's... okay so hubert takes peter pomfret to jail leaving king john and bastard alone oh my gentle cousin here's all the news abroad who are arrived the French, my lord, men's mouths are full of it. Besides, I met Lord Bigot and Lord Salisbury, with eyes as red as new and kindled fire, and others more going to seek the grave of Arthur, whom they say is killed tonight on your suggestion? Gentle kinsmen, go and thrust thyself into their companies. I have a way to win their loves again. Bring them before me. I will seek them out. Nay, but make haste, the better foot before. Oh, let me have no subject enemies when adverse foreigners affright my towns with dreadful pomp of stout invasion. Be Mercury, set feathers to thy heels and fly like thought from them to me again. The spirit of the time shall teach me speed. Spoke like a spriteful noble gentleman. Go after him for he perhaps shall need some messenger betwixt me and the peers and be thou he. With all my heart, my liege. My mother? 
dead. My lord, they say five moons were seen tonight, four fixed, and the fifth did whirl about the other four in wondrous motion. Five moons? Old men and bedlams in the street do prophesy upon it dangerously. Young Arthur's death is common in their mouths, and when they talk of him, they shake their heads and whisper one another in the ear, and he that speaks doth gripe the hearer's wrist, while he that hears makes fearful action with wrinkled brows, with nods, with rolling eyes. I saw a smith stand with his hammer thus, the whilst his iron did on the anvil cool, with open mouth swallowing a tailor's news, who with his shears and a measure in his hand, standing on slippers, which his nimble haste had falsely thrust upon contrary feet, told of a many thousand warlike French that were embattled and ranked in Kent. Another lean, unwashed artificer cuts off his tail and talks of Arthur's death. Why seekst thou to possess me with these fears? Why urgest thou so oft young Arthur's death? Thy hand hath murdered him. I had a mighty cause to wish him dead, but thou hadst none to kill him. No had, my lord. Why did you not provoke me? It is the curse of kings to be attended by slaves that take their humors for a warrant to break within the bloody house of life, and on the winking of authority to understand a law to know the meaning of dangerous majesty, when perchance it frowns more upon humor than advised respect. Here is your hand and seal for what I did. Oh, when the last account twixt heaven and earth is to be made, then shall this hand and seal witness against us to damnation. How oft the sight of means to do ill deeds make deeds ill done. Hadst not thou been by a fellow by the hand of nature marked, quoted, and signed to do a deed of shame, this murder had not come into my mind. But taking note of thy abhorred respect, finding thee fit for bloody villainy, apt, liable to be employed in danger, I faintly broke with thee of Arthur's death, and thou, to be endeared to a king, made it no conscience to destroy a prince. My lord! Hadst thou but shook thy head, or made a pause when I spake darkly what I purposed, or turned an eye of doubt upon my face, as bid me tell my tale in express words, deep shame had struck me dumb, made me break off, and those thy fears might have wrought fears in me. But thou didst understand me by my signs, and didst in signs again parley with sin, yet without stop didst let thy heart consent, and consequently thy rude hand to act. The deed which both our tongues held vile to name, out of my sight, and never see me more. My nobles leave me, and my state is braved, e'en at my gates, with ranks of foreign powers. Nay, in the body of this fleshly land, this kingdom, this confine of blood and breath, hostility and civil tumult reigns between my conscience and my cousin's death. Arm you against your other enemies. I'll make a peace between your soul and you. Young Arthur is alive. This hand of mine is yet a maiden and an innocent hand, not painted with the crimson spots of blood within, the, within this bosom, never entered yet the dreadful motion of a murderous thought. And you have slandered nature in my form, which howsoever rudely exterior is yet the cover of a fairer mind than to be a butcher of an innocent child. Doth Arthur live? Oh, haste thee to the peers, throw this report on their incensed rage and make them tame to their obedience. Forgive the comment that my passion made upon thy feature, for my rage was blind and foul imaginary eyes of blood presented thee more hideous than thou art. 
Oh, answer not, but to my closet, bring the angry lords, and with all expedient haste, I conjure thee but slowly. Run more fast. <laughs> what a bizarre interaction. Run more fast. Run more Run fast more is fast. a great end to the scene. Like, it's like I start running, it's not fast enough. Run more fast. <laughs> it's like this guy, man. There's like no way to win with him. It's There's amazing. No way to win. Arthur is literally walking on the walls as Hubert runs more fast to, <laughs> to find him getting ready to throw himself to the cobblestones below. Oh, so dear. Like, oh, we miss dear. it like that much, you know? I, I, I love your uh, indignation of maybe I'm, maybe I'm rough looking, but you are mean and I don't deserve it. And I have a much nicer mind. <laughs> It's just yeah. it's so sweet. It's, it's really so interesting. Sweet. I mean, yeah. it, for whatever reason, in this in this time, it almost felt like I thought you were calling me over to ask me to be a babysitter, and you told me to kill the fucking kid. Like I never killed anyone <laughs> in my life, you know. Like just because I like look like Hagrid from Harry Potter, you think, like, I like to go kill people. Like I like to raise wild beasts in the forest. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Not that Aragog. I look like that. I just can't help imagining Hubert as like a rough looking guy, but. I yeah. love that. I think that's, that's quite right. And like, you know, Hagrid is like such a wonderful character. <laughs> he's like one of the most kind hearted characters in the entire book series, you know. He's, but yeah, this, this King John, I, I think there's been a lot of interpretations where he kind of has these like fits um, where he kind of loses control. And it kind of makes sense to me that that would be a, a interpretation there's something that to me about him that seems out of control like he just doesn't quite have a a, a grip on himself or yeah. the situations he finds himself in his own metaphor of like i was under the flood a second ago but I, i've risen to the top of the water and now i can yeah. swim that seems like really apt. He strikes me as a guy that's like in the waves. Yes. Even early in the play, like he, I just, I keep having this phrase in my head, reluctant king. And mm. like, not in the same way, like it's so fascinating because it's not like Henry VI and it's not like, um, I feel like there's other ones, but Henry VI is like, he's really nice. So like, yeah. he's a terrible king and eventually he doesn't want to be king anymore, but he knows he has to. But this strikes me more as like someone who doesn't want to be king, but they, they try everything to make it work. They're like mean, they're nice, they're florid with their language, they're simple, they're direct. They're like, he's like flailing yeah. around trying everything, but it strikes me he'd rather not be doing it in the first place in the same way Hubert doesn't seem to want to be stabbing out the eyes of a child. And the way that Arthur doesn't seem to want to be prince. <laughs> Go figure. And the way that Philip didn't seem to want to invade the town. Like, yeah. it's just fun. Like, people are like, I have to do this, but like, can we get out of it? You know. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a monkey wrench into the discussion at this point. Love I sorry. I um with John, does it make sense to say and like uh, as we as we've all been saying, like, depends on the production, depends on the actor, but like, does it make sense to say that perhaps like these fits of rage and indignation she, she has, <laughs> he has. Um, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, she has. Um, <laughs> like are, 
I don't know. I, for John, I don't necessarily note a desire to not go along with these things. And I only voice that because, especially in respect of his indignation in the first two acts, when dealing with like a King Philip of France and everything like that, he does seem to belie a sort of like, there is a divine right, it is mine. I do feel very strongly about that. So I will do what I need to do to get like, because what I feel is mine is well and truly mine. So Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. Again, this is just me throwing a monkey wrench up against Sam's very good point. I'm just sort of like thinking about it. I I wonder. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, please. No, no, no. Uh, Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say that feels very right to me because it feels so much like everything that happens, every like weird coincidence and like weird stroke of luck that John gets, he seems to respond to as though it is like, oh, of course it would happen this way because I'm meant to be king. Like, you know, he he's so quick, like he spends this whole, like the whole last half of the of the previous act and then all of the act up until this point being like, I want you to kill this kid in a very bloody and horrifying way. Even though like everybody's saying, wish, wish you hadn't done that. And like, please don't do this. And this is horrible. Um, and then as soon as Hubert reveals like, oh, he's alive. He's just sort of like, well, of course he's alive. He should be alive. That's my plan the whole time. Like he, he sort yeah. of, he takes these moments that like are so actively against what he is trying to do as evidence that he should still be king. It's so weird. Maybe. And that, that to me on that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry, Julia. I was literally just going to yes and and say um, the, the, I'm not quoting it exactly, but the line that uh, Jesse kept mentioning in, I believe act two where john is just like well people of this town do i look like a king i'm wearing a crown so that's all the evidence you need like it's very black and white with him it's like and then everyone else has to kind of just go along with it um but it's yeah i agree with you julia it's so black and white that it's sometimes like slightly reality bending depending on who's being asked uh in the space maybe it's a little more that i feel that he is exhausted by everything he has to do to stay alive or something like, or to deal with these. Cause actually I totally agree with you both. I think he does, he seems very sure that he should be king. He, even though there's all sorts of reasons presented to him that like it's kind of arbitrary, but he himself almost in a, I hate to say spoiled cause it's judgmental, but almost in an entitled way. Like I'm a king, that's how I was born. That's what it is. He feels he seems inconvenienced by the war that he has started. Like he came in with that thing with the Pope and started that whole thing. And then he, he, he seems like incredulous that everything should be going so horrible and so bloody after he like caused the whole thing. I think that's what it is for me at least. Absolutely. And to jump off of uh, a word that Sam used, like, it feels like he has tempered tantrums about it yeah. like because he feels spoiled like and again, of course like yeah we we, we don't want to put too many value judgments on it but like it, they, he feels very like a young individual who's like having a tantrum because he's being inconvenienced he thought and it was going to be easier than this yeah and it's it's so interesting to see that like this grown man king like kind of usurper of the throne if you want to look at it that way like in in contrast with this like young boy who is like so 
clearly like princely and like yeah. gracious and like full of dignity and honor to see those two they're not even in conflict with another they're just sort of like presented together yeah it's it's very it's very interesting i i it's so great that that i love this this discussion and i i was gonna say there is something like that the temper tantrums that he seems to have seem to be when 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 things don't go his way and when he's required to do something that's difficult like when he's like oh god what i've got to win a war without my peers i thought they were gonna win it for me you know there, there seems to be like this yeah i think i'm gonna use the the word entitled because that 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 really popped for me when you when whomever said that i think it was said multiple times that there is this sense of like it should be easy why am I being inconvenienced by this, like, by things like politics and <laughs> like. This is, this horse has been just shot to death, but I mean, but Donald, you're describing Donald Trump, like in many different oh, yeah. ways. Absolutely. And I couldn't help but think of Donald Trump, especially when during the scene between Salisbury and, uh, and Pembroke as one of his Donald Trump's inner circle, like maybe even his kids or something you know, someone who's just like trying to be nice to him, but like this guy, like, how do you not upset him? Yeah. Cause he There's might no just throw a tantrum and not do it. Yeah. He might just make another mistake. You, you have to go to flattery, yeah. you know, you have to say your Royal Highness, you know, you have to do all that stuff. You have to fill him with pomp. And <laughs> it's horrible. And you know what? Like, again, I, I don't want to, I apologize for getting so archetypal about it, but like, this like entitled man-child image that we're all playing with here, the idolization of the mother feels apt here as well. Yes. Like it, it, this feels yeah. like part of that archetype too. So like, just like the sort of like when she's gone, he just can't, he doesn't know how to process it because as everyone rightly said, she's was so strong. She called so many shots. Who knows how many things that we don't even talk about in this play she was handling for him this whole time. And like, now that yeah. she's gone, it's just like, help. <laughs> I, yeah, I mentioned this brief, like one sort of, and we talked about this briefly earlier, but like the sort of Oedipal connections here are like mm. really weird and resonative. Like, I, I mean, this play already feels pretty Greek in a lot of ways. Like yeah. even the sort of like the ridiculousness of the first half of the play feels very Greek to me. Yeah. But then like, we have this image of this king whose like mother is dead and it happens off stage, you know? And then we have the gouging out of the eyes, but it's happening to the child. And I'm yeah. like, I'm really curious about that sort of like taking of that like violence away from, especially in a play that's about like patrilineal line, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? It's, it's interesting to see how the, like the violence is taken out of the hands of the mother at, like, out of the hands of Eleanor at like out of the hands of Jocasta and put into the the child like the the heir yeah. the per the person being punished for the lineage is not the parent who is like the person who enacted this trauma and has, and has like continued to to cause all the this to perpet be perpetuated but it is the child who is like bearing the burden of all of this like all these terrible decisions I love it I um I'm I'm also now thinking of King John just because Sam you got me thinking about Harry Potter as like Dudley Dursley like 
35. Like I, there were 36 last year. And then like, you know, Uncle Vernon being like, it's okay. We'll buy you two more presents today, Dudley. You know, and I, it's, it's like very, <laughs> it just feels like a little yeah. bit of that. <laughs> Now I'm. This is okay. New new show idea. Shakespeare and Harry Potter. Like which <laughs> Harry Potter character is each Shakespeare character? Yeah. Anyway, um. So now we move on to poor Arthur, and I call this probably the hardest thing to stage in the play. Because how do you do this? Do you do it interpretively? Do you do it with like a movement sequence? Does it not happen? Um. There is an interesting. Uh, production at the Stratford Festival where he looked down and then um, King John exited. He was still on stage during this speech and King John exited right before he was supposed to jump and his cloak as he was exiting upstage um, a double for Arthur appeared under his cloak and then he was still up on the balcony looking down at his body and saying his last lines kind of insane but it was very um effective because it directly linked king john to arthur's death even though kind of nobody is really i mean it seems like arthur accidentally commits suicide yeah it's it's a weirdly a little, like little just odd. yeah it's, it is not death yeah it's, i'll be it's quick a weird scene yeah uh, i mean it's also weird in like any play, I feel like yeah. I rarely have ever seen a scene where someone's like, I'm gonna jump this long distance to escape. Oh fuck, I died. <laughs> <laughs> like it's weird for like Shakespeare in general. <laughs> Damn it, I forgot my parachute. <laughs> I, yeah, Meg. I, I wanna ask, in in reality, Arthur dies in the prison, supposedly. Like, and it, it's, mm. it's obscured. I mean, in the history, not in the play. So this is sort of interesting that Shakespeare has him make that move. In other words, yeah. take his own life. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise it was reported that he, you know, was, was beaten and, you know, left to rot basically in the, in the castle prison. I was, I was just gonna, I was gonna sort of change it back. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm just curious about that. That it's interesting that Arthur is, he's the one that makes the decision and also no one actually can be blamed for his death in shakespeare's version of things like a lot of people are accused but yeah. actually nobody directly i think indirectly you could say that john definitely is the reason that arthur is dead but it is interesting that that shakespeare kind of takes that um that away from 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 John and it actually isn't John's fault directly that which complicates this already very complicated moral <laughs> play but what I will say though is that it, it feels to me and I, I mean I guess we technically haven't read this yet so <laughs> I don't want to get like too ahead of ourselves but it does feel like he he is afraid I mean that he says the wall is high and yet I will leap down it feels like to me it feels very like what has pushed this this man to such a point that he's willing to risk, yeah. you know, willing to take this risk that he's like, I am afraid and yet I'll venture it, you know, he's willing to take the risk and he's he's up against a literal wall. And it's sort of, yeah. to me, it feels like the fear there is 
I feel I feel John's presence in that fear, mm, I guess. Yeah, is what I mean. Well, and then he has the the wonderful line, which let, let's have uh, Liam read in a second of my uncle's spirit is in these stones. He mm-hmm. did kill me in this in this interesting representative way. Wonderful. Let's 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 jump in with both pe- feet. No, no pun intended there. Um, have with both feet and both eyes. Oh, dear. Go ahead, Liam. <laughs> Just go, go right ahead. The wall is high. And yet I will leap down. Good ground be pitiful and hurt me not. There's few or none who know me. If they did, this shipboy semblance hath disguised me quite. I am afraid. And yet I'll venture it. If I get down and do not break my limbs, I'll find a thousand shifts to get, to get away. As good to die and go as die and stay. Oh me, my uncle's spirit is in these stones. Heaven take my soul and England keep my bones. Lords, I will meet him at St. Edmundsbury. It is our safety and we must embrace this gentle offer of the perilous time. Who brought that letter from the Cardinal? The Count Melun, a noble Lord of France, whose private with me of the Dauphin's love is much more general than these lines import. Tomorrow morning, let us meet him then. Or rather then set forward, for it will be two long days journeys, lords, or ere we meet. Once more today, well met, distempered lords, the king by me requests your presence straight. The king hath dispossessed himself of us. We will not line his thin, bestained cloak with our pure honors, nor attend the foot that leaves the print of blood where'er it walks. Return and tell him so. We know the worst. Whate'er you think good words, I think were best. Our griefs, and not our manners reason now. But there is little reason in your grief. Therefore, twere reason you had manners now. Sir, sir, impatience hath its, his privilege. Tis true, to hurt his master, no man else. This is the prison. What is he lies here? Oh, death, made proud with pure and princely beauty. The earth had not a hole to hide this deed. Murder. As hating what himself hath done, doth lay it open to urge on revenge. Or, when he doomed this beauty to a grave, found it too precious princely for a grave. Sir Richard! What think you? You have beheld? Or have you read or heard or could you think? Or do you almost think, although you see, that you do see? Could thought without this object form such another? This is the very top, the height, the crest or crests unto the crest of murder's arms. This is the bloodiest shame, the wildest savagery the vilest stroke that ever wall-eyed wrath or staring rage presented to the tears of soft remorse. All murders past do stand excused in this, and this so soul and so unmatchable shall give a holiness, a purity, to the yet unbegotten sin of times and prove a deadly bloodshed but a jest, exampled by this heinous spectacle. It is a damned and a bloody work, the graceless action of a heavy hand if that it be the work of any hand. If that it be the work of any hand? We had a kind of light that would ensue. It is the shameful work of Hubert's hand. 
the practice and the purpose of the king, from whose obedience I forbid my soul. Kneeling before this ruin of sweet life and breathing to his breathless excellence the incense of a vow, a holy vow, never to taste the pleasures of the world, never to be infected with delight, nor conversant with ease and idleness, till I have set a glory to this hand by giving it the worship of revenge. Our souls Our religious, soul religiously, religiously confirm, confirm thy, thy words. Lord, I am hot in haste when seeking you. Arthur doth live, the king hath sent for you. Oh, he is bold and blushes not at death. Avant, thou hateful villain, get thee gone. I am no villain. M must I rob the law? Your sword is bright, sir, put it up again. Not till I sheath it in a murderer's skin. Stand back, Lord Salisbury, stand back, I say. By heaven, I think my sword's as sharp as yours. I would not have you, Lord, forget yourself, nor tempt the danger of my true defense, lest I, by making of your rage, forget your worth, your grace, and your nobility. Out, Dunghill, darst thou brave a nobleman? Not for my life, but yet I dare defend my innocent life against an emperor. Thou art a murderer. Do not prove me so, yet I am none. Whose tongue e'er so speaks false? Not truly speaks, who speaks not truly lies. Cut him to pieces. Keep the peace, I say. Stand by or I shall call you Falconbridge. Thou wert better call the devil, Salisbury. If thou but frown on me or stir thy foot or teach thy hasty spleen to do me shame, I'll strike thee dead. Put up your sword betimes or also maul you on your toasting iron that you shall think the devil has come from hell. What wilt thou do, renowned Falconbridge? Second a villain and a murderer? Lord Bigot, I am none. Who killed this prince? Tis not an hour since I left him well. I honored him. I loved him and will weep my date of life out for his life's sweet loss. Trust not those cunning waters of his eyes, for villainly, for villainly is not without such room. And he, long traded in it, makes it seem like rivers of remorse and innocency. Away with me, all you whose souls abhor the uncleanly savors of a slaughterhouse, for I am stifled with this smell of sin. Away, toward Barry, to the Dauphin there. There, tell the king he may inquire us out. Wow. Let's just pause there for a second and, and discuss the, the, the scene so far as we've, as we've seen it. So poor little Arthur in his ship boy's disguise, thinking that there were a whole bunch of different ways he could get away. And he probably doesn't even know his mom is dead too, but then falls to his death. And then these lords who, um, who we just saw we learn that they're going to the French side, which is kind of an extraordinary thing to do. Um, this would be, this would amount to high treason, which I think we discussed the, 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 the punishment for that. This is very high stakes uh, game they're playing. Yeah, I'm, 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 and then we have the bastard come in and tries to reason with them. Then they find the body. Then as they are mourning the body, <laughs> poor Hubert, comes in all breathless telling them, hey, Arthur's alive. 
And it seems to me that you cannot have seen the body until that tis not an hour since I left him well. Yeah, staging this is is would be difficult. Yeah. Like where's the bot how where's the body? Like how do you get the body on stage? Or what I don't know. Exactly. I, I guess I mean, unless it's just like that. It's so horrible. I mean, again, like now it's a very dark comedy, but the fact that they don't notice him for that long. Like yeah. I was thinking the the humor in this is apparent, but I wasn't sure if it was just because I was because I'm a psychotic person. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I, I meant to I meant to agree with what you were saying. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> Even when he when he in the beginning, the shortness of his speech before he jumps to his death is a little bit like, yay! It's just like a little <laughs> just it, it's it's almost like a one-two punch and then he's dead yeah um, i don't know if that could be done for the humor but i mean it's it. also such king john humor of like this is the most foul thing i've ever seen when like he was supposed to be killed by having his eyes burned out of his head yeah. so like kind of falling off a wall does seem kind of lackluster in comparison and it's what? like wow if you'd only seen what they had <laughs> planned before like it's so weird Julia, that's such a good fucking point. But again, like to expand on your brilliant point, like this is, we're just back to the commodity discussion in the sense that these two men who are like, this is the worst thing we've ever seen, not a scene before, belied the fact that they knew that this was to happen already and weren't rushing to try to stop it anyway. Yes, (laughs) precisely, precisely. Commodity. The bias of the world. So so when it's convenient for them to make a big show of how sad they are about this dead child, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. But but when they're near the king, you know, it's convenient for them to act a different way and then they do. Mm-hmm. Well, and honestly, I feel like even even in their their like whole spiel here, it's like there's like like I'm, I'm just thinking of like Salisbury's like puns on the wall, like, oh, it's the height, it's the crest, and the wall-eyed wrath, and I don't know why. It just feels very insensitive. <laughs> it's like before they even see the mangled corpse, they've already decided they're going to go over to the French side. Yeah. So on some level, it almost feels like the angrier they get about the corpse they see, the more justified they are in turning coat. And I also, I mean, it's like there's no freaking Sherlock Holmes here, but it wouldn't really take one to be like, if freaking Hubert murdered this kid, why would he leave him sitting on the stones for like three hours while he goes and talks to the king? I mean, come on, like, lords, slow down. Let's talk about this, okay? Like, yeah. this is not the way secret yeah. political murders are done. Like, and you mentioned it, and that he's out in the also like to jump off that point that they had already decided too. like you can hear it in the language like they use all this stuff about it being like a sin and like like purity and holiness and like they say all these things like holy vow and like it feels very papal and it's just sort of like okay we're realigning ourselves with like a specific yeah yeah we're realigning ourselves with the church here you know and like uh what is what's the line he said yeah they say in unison our souls religiously confirm thy words like doesn't that feel like a, like, you know, a, a, a joint, it, it feels like a prayer, you know, they say it in unison together as though it's like a call and response. Like it feels, it feels heavily Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> very much. That's a wonderful point. Yeah. But um, I also then how, so was that what was the most important issue was with King John the whole time? Or is that just 
political convenience. I mean, like the fact that he stepped away from the church and back in Act Two. I mean, it seems to me, and like everyone, feel free to disagree with me. It feels like that's like a good excuse to like move over and be like, well, we're 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 more interested in saving our souls. You know, it feels like a pretty easy excuse. That so it feels kind of to me like there's there's like excuse after excuse after excuse sort of yeah. like piling on to a decision that they had already made because of other personal reasons yeah i i, I think i want to finish the scene and then maybe other people will have other thoughts on this point i feel like the bastard is actually surprised by this yeah this may be disproven by the time we finish the scene but um, he clearly doesn't, he's not where Salisbury and Pembroke are. The fact that he's like, well, if, if any hand did it, I mean, like perhaps suggesting, well, clearly he fell. And then yeah. Salisbury's like, what do you mean? It was Hubert. And I, that, but also the fact that he's suspiciously quiet for this entire bit. And then what we do at the end of the scene, I think may also have something to do with this, but I feel like he's weirdly quiet. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's super interesting. Apparently I have a lot to say on this scene. <laughs> um, but it, it's so interesting that like the bastard who always has like a quick joke to like make fun of everyone else, like he is suddenly aware of the seriousness and the gravity of the situation. And then these guys are like making jokes about walls and like <laughs> are, are like doing all this weird wordplay. And the bastard's like, okay, like, yo, I'm all about wordplay, but this kid is dead you guys like he's also weirdly you're so right he's also weirdly a peacemaker in this part after after they realize the body's there weirdly he's the one who's like everybody stop for a minute like stop fucking stop i mean obviously he's like i'll fuck with you if you get near me to salisbury but then he in an effort to be like everyone hold on a minute which feels also new for him very much anyone to attack hubert and I mean, it also strikes me as that's the most advantageous position for John's camp is to not have his lords fight, not have anyone get really upset right away about who murdered who, but like everyone to take a chill and think about things because John's about to like lose all his lords. And if his lords kill Hubert, like it's just a huge bloody mess for John too. I also want to ask like a question of the group because my my page was just on these lines and I was kind of skimming them. This whole bit with that starts with like, oh, death made proud and pure and with princely and uh, with pure and princely beauty. The earth had not a hole to hide this deed. And then Bigot later says he found it too precious princely for a grave. Like it feels like they're complaining that he's too like if only he had been buried, we wouldn't have had to see this and deal with this. Yeah. It feels like they're complaining that like Hubert didn't finish the job by hiding the body. Like it's such a weird thing to bring up like in this situation. Abs- well, and I'm it, like, it, really curious about that language. It does seem to me to connect to the previous scene where they were saying, this is way too obvious. Like what you're doing is just way too obvious. And this is kind of the, it seems to be like the distillation of this. It's in the open. His body is sitting there, the, not treated respectfully, not any of the things that we do with bodies, which there's a whole ceremony that happens with bodies during this time. 
and that it, it does seem to me to be a through line of like this is just not this should have been if this was done it, it should have been done quietly and it should have been done where we're not witnessing all of this 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 poor kid's uh dead body it's, it's pretty, pretty i think one of the strange things about this play is it it doesn't feel that uh, astonishing that children get murdered it feels like there's a precedent for that politically in a way it feels to me a little like the issue is how obvious and like yeah. in front of everyone's face it is so i i just i think it's really it's a very interesting political world in this play like where people seem very conscious of what's necessary in politics even if they're ostensibly nice people they like the clean transition of power they don't people in, the, in these positions don't like a muddied transition and and if everyone knew how hamlet's father had been killed if everyone knew that then it would be a different play altogether and all the lords would be no he's not the right he shouldn't be king absolutely and I, th I think there's also a, like a very deep irony in their expressions of outrage that they're calling Hubert a murderer and saying they're going to murder him. It's like, hang on, wait a second. So, so who is the who's rightfully here morally when you guys are threatening to kill him, which would make you a murderer? So then you both be murderers. And how does that work? Um, there, de it definitely seems to be. If you can back, here's here's what I'm really trying to say. In this world, I think if you can back up your decisions with a really good argument, um, that seems to be like the way to do things. <laughs> like with those speeches in act two, with when King John is like, okay, here's why I'm, this is, it's me, it's me. And this is why, and this is why you should let me in. And then immediately we have the King of France. It's like, we have competing political arguments. And so in this, it's like, John's argument is kind of, or was like, let's make the, the right of succession a little bit easier here and get and get this one branch out of the way. But obviously he didn't back that up with any rhetoric and he's doing it so corruptedly in such an open corrupted way that it's like, it's like not palatable to anyone. Shall we see how the, how the bastard reacts to, to this with, with, with Hubert alone? Here's a good world. Knew you of this fair work. Beyond the infinite and boundless reach of mercy, if thou didst this deed, art thou damned, Hubert? Do but hear me, sir. <laughs> I'll tell thee what. Thou art more deep damned than Prince Lucifer. There is not yet so ugly a fiend of hell as thou shalt be if thou didst kill this child. Upon my soul. If thou didst but consent to this most cruel act, do but despair. And if thou wantst accord the smallest thread that ever spider twisted from her womb will serve to strangle thee. A rush will be thy beam to hang thee on. Or wouldst thou drown thyself? Put but a little water in a spoon, and it shall be as big as all the ocean, enough to stifle such a villain up. I do suspect thee very grievously. If I in act, consent, or sin of thought be guilty in the stealing of that sweet breath, which was embounded in this beauteous clay, let hell want pains enough to torture me. I left him well. Go. Bear him in thine arms. I am amazed, methinks, and lose my way among the thorns and dangers of this world. How easy dost thou take all England up? From forth this morsel of dead royalty, the life, the right, and truth 
of all this realm is fled to heaven, and England now is left to tug and scramble and to part by the teeth the unowed interest of proud swelling state. Now for the bare-picked bone of majesty doth dogged war bristle as angry crest and snarleth in the gentle eyes of peace. Now powers from home and discontents at home meet in one line and vast confusion waits as doth a raven on a sick fallen breast the imminent decay of rested pomp. Now happy he whose cloak and censure can hold out this tempest. Bear away that child, and follow me with speed all to the king. A thousand businesses are brief in hand, and heaven itself doth frown upon the land. Beautiful. Yeah, wow. Different guy, huh? Wow, yeah. What a shift. He, he feels really different here. Yeah, I don't know... I was I'm trying to make sense of whether or not he genuinely didn't expect this because in the previous mm. scene he was like yeah I saw Salisbury and that other guy they said that you killed Arthur yeah and he's like oh for sure go and then <laughs> the bastard's like okay there is a world in which he's like yeah they said that that that's not what that is right and then like this genuinely is a surprise like mm. it could be that he feels so different that i have the impulse to play it as if he's genuinely surprised at this yeah it was definitely a surprise probably that you saw the body probably right in front of you right like that's kind of hard to talk out of yeah absolutely i don't know i i, I guess this maybe this is one of the other things that makes the bastard quite different as a lot of the other people in power here, but like he's certainly never seen like a dead kid. Yeah. yeah. Surrounded by like adults, royal adults who neither stopped him from being dead and and some of them caused his death. Like I it almost right. feels like there's something iconic to the image of this kid's mangled body that it's like at the center of politics or something like that like this is when you strip all of the shit and the rhetoric away like it's a mangled child's body that you're justifying or something like that and to connect it back it's like the the kid was the thing we were all sworn to protect and uphold the rights and we've destroyed it i also wonder olivia what you think of like i mean how much of this is like kind of a surprise at john's like effectiveness in this kind of thing like he's been so ridiculous up until this point and like you know the bastard sees him in the beginning you know I, I kind of wonder how if that if just sort of like the awe of like wow this like absolute boob killed a child like I think that could I think that is a part of it too honestly like because because yeah like if we're going with the idea that this is such a surprise like perhaps yeah in the previous scene it's like you could underneath it all like you would not we're not gonna get there we're not gonna go that far that's ridiculous you know? <laughs> this guy's mom has been ruling his country for like 10 years or whatever he couldn't kill a kid no uh, yeah, yeah. diapers <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah oh no go I, ahead. I was just gonna say too it's like an open question but why doesn't john ask the bastard to do this why does he, he even <laughs> Why does he even find Hubert in the first place? Like, so that also to me is interesting because he has the bastard do tons of stuff for him and kind of unsavory stuff like shaking down churches and things. 
Mm. But his mom told him to do that. He was, he was like, he was a minion of, I mean, like that to me is like kind of my answer, which is that like, this was Eleanor's grandson. Yeah, that's true. And like, person can't get their hands wet, dirty, like in this way. Yeah. But, but also like we were saying before, like the bastard was like kind of a weird emissary of Eleanor. Yeah. And like, so to ask him to do that would be like involving her her in a way that I think he would maybe not be able to do. But I, I guess the, the almost had this funny hypothesis that like the bastard and John really like each other in this in this interesting way. And like, yeah, I think you're totally right about that's I think that's a much more specific reason. I was like, maybe he doesn't want to ask his friend who he really likes to do the actual really nasty work he like wants mm. to. Sure. But, but also like we've heard this is just me spitballing now, but also like we've heard so much about like the bastard is supposed to be a son of Richard, you know? This is so much an action of like John trying to establish like his independence from his mother and from his brothers and like to assert himself like as his own rightful king. And so to to like to achieve that on his own without the help of like this like emissary as his mother of his mother who's also kind of a weird stand-in for his brother. Like there there feels like there's so much lineage still like within the bastard even though he's a bastard. Yeah, that like going outside of that and getting like somebody who's like not at all involved feels like a choice that is is rooted in like a desire for independence from that and like Mm. a a, like a justification that he is like he has he can earn his title of king you know that it is his kids himself yeah yeah (laughs) doesn't need mom's help with that yeah, like, yeah i know this this part of the job i know how to do it i'm gonna do it myself right you know? yeah exactly right. and like all of this yeah. of course like isn't not to say that like the bastard doesn't know hasn't killed people and like doesn't know how to do that obviously but then like i guess this feels a little bit like a hotspur moment of like <laughs> i do that over there and i take that and i and i and i'm very good at it and i will say that but like even I have, even I have my own rules, even I have my own morals or, or whatever. Perhaps yeah. the bastard didn't realize that this was a line for him. And maybe in this moment, he's like, okay, well, that's my new line. That's horrible. But. but, but like to have that be stated, like the king is willing to kill a child, but like this bastard sort of like disgraceful clown of a man, like has some moral, I mean, you're, you're great, Olivia. <laughs> I have nothing against you. <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that this this character who is has been nothing but kind of the, the fool of the court um, yeah. and who, like, who's, who we've mocked and we, we call him the bastard, you know? We don't call him, you know, by his name, that he is the one who is like, this is he's the one to sort of establish the morality in the room is is very telling and if he's the audience surrogate it's very interesting that suddenly the audience now the audience surrogate looks to the audience and is like i can't fucking believe this you know like we kind of know you didn't know almost i don't want to say it's shakespeare's opinion but like he's been our confidant throughout the whole play so i think it draws a pretty powerful line for us too I, I, I also wonder if this, this last bit is, is part soliloquy. Like if he lets, it would be very awkward for Hubert to kind of stand there with Arthur's 
body, although I suppose he could, it might be very poetic, but if there is a a sense that this is like a private moment that we're having with that last speech could be really interesting. I could see Hubert just dead, like not even dead, just shocked, like completely out, like just standing there and letting these beautiful words, the bastard saying, just wash over him while he like holds the child too. Not, not even hearing them, but like hearing them or something. But he, it feels like maybe he's really shell-shocked. It does feel like a weird eulogy of sorts. Yeah. And this very all-important word of I am amazed. Yeah. Right? I think we may have talked about that before, but in Shakespeare's time, it really had the sense of being lost in one of those elaborate Elizabethan mazes. And it's, it's all of those feelings of kind of excitement, and dread and fear and anxiety and nervousness and losing your bearings and all of these different emotions were kind of put into that word. It's not like, oh my God, amazing man. Like there was, it had, a, it had such more weight as a, as a word back in, in Shakespeare's time. Um, and when, and like truly, when has this guy up until yeah. now ever been amazed? Like- exactly, not so much. It's, it's interesting to me that, that all of the these amazing images, amazing images that you get in this last speech of the 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 bare picked bone of majesty, this fierce war sort of bristling up and snarling at peace. Like it's just a really it's a very vivid world that that doesn't seem and a, a more sort of high stakes emotional world that seems a little bit far removed from those first couple speeches of yours, his soliloquies speech, of yours, you know. Even as soon as the kid's dead, I mean, his speech about uh, Hubert, like if you, if you consented to kill this kid, the thing about this, um, the smallest thread that ever spider twisted from her womb. Oh, it's amazing. And that really like, that has, that reminds me of Mercutio. That reminds me of uh, her wagon spokes, long spinner's legs. Yeah. And it's like, I just, I think it's fascinating when a Shakespeare, when Shakespeare's language becomes very small, like about yeah. a really tiny thing it described beautifully. Yep. So that, and that line, that thing about hanging your himself on a spider web is amazing. Like, the poetry that gets unlocked in the bastard here is fascinating absolutely of course like the bastard has more to do in act five but like it seems like he leaves us not being quite as happy with or excited about this new uh community Mm. that he is in and this new status that he has it's you know I mean, that track says like him being sort of an audience surrogate. You can imagine him like looking to the groundlings and being like, you know, can you believe that I have to deal with these horrible, horrible people, (laughs) you know? And what we keep talking about, like this play was so much fun and so farcical and ridiculous up until like kill that kid. And suddenly, you know, I, I like, I definitely had the impression with some of Shakespeare's other plays, Titus Andronicus, for instance, that you get drawn into the excitement and the fun and then he smacks you with the horror. You Much know? to do about nothing. That's a good one. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. Yeah, or even yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream with them all like running around in the forest, like dreading yeah. and like ravish each other in the woods and stuff like it. He loves to seduce you into the world and then show its reality in a, in a shocking way, potentially. Mm, yeah. I really want to see a terrifying version of Midsummer Night's Dream. I would really, really love 
to see like a version where like I had nightmares. I, 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 cause to me that like is when I read that play, that is what it is to me. It's like those fairies are freaking terrifying. Yes. Midsummer nightmare. Thank you, Julia. That is excellent. I saw a version that was actually, it was trying to do that, but it just, I mean, but it, again, I guess you just have to, you have to play the humor throughout it. Otherwise you're oh, not going to yeah. get through the whole thing. But oh, it yeah. was, it was Shakespeare in the park. It was just, it was one of their weaker productions though. If you, uh, yeah. I always had a dream of a mashup, Midsummer Night's Dream uh, on film with a Blair Witch Project filming oh. style. And it wouldn't, it couldn't oh. apply for the whole play, but just for those scenes where it gets really confused and scary in the woods and there's donkey headed <laughs> people and stuff and orgies in the trees. Like, <laughs> I think you could do a crazy handheld footage version of Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> I love it. Like I want I want to get to Puck's speech at the end and when he says if we shadows have offended I want to like stand up and be like I was so offended. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was so offended. Um anyway, um but back to this play, their their transformational act is act 4 tends to be in Shakespeare plays. Something that happens in act 4 changes the world changes what we know changes the norm and then act five we usually spend dealing with it um which is what we will do um in our next episode thank you all so much <laughs>